Hi, Paul. Hi, Janina. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, welcome, welcome to the world of 5G. Yes. Welcome, everyone who's listening to us talking 5G in this podcast, uh, the voice of 5G. Uh, Paul and me, we are working uh, at Ericsson. Uh, this is not our normal job of doing podcasts, but uh, as we are fascinated and quite intrigued by the development of 5G, we started this podcast and talk uh, to talk about uh, all the specifics around 5G, wouldn't you say? All the technical stuff behind and everything that you want to know, perhaps? All, <laughs> to you. all sorts of stuff about 5G and, and as much as possible we talk to people that know what they're talking about as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we try to bring you the uh, the know-it-alls of different flavors of 5G, and that is what we're doing this time too. This time we have uh, Antti Kaupinen of Erillisverkot uh, uh, joining our podcast. They um, they are they are in Finland. Yeah, in case you couldn't guess from the name, they're in Finland. <laughs> So uh, um, he will talk about what Erillisverkot is and what they are doing with us. Uh, this is a th- yeah, this is a flavor of 5G. You, you, I guess you haven't heard about before. Uh, we also have a returning speaker, uh, Manuel Ruiz from our uh, Mission Critical Networks uh, team uh, here. So you can uh, you can see where this le- this is leading to. It's going to be Mission Critical Networks and for. For public safety, right, Paul? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's a it's a really interesting area, um, and uh, it's uh, one of those things that people don't think about so very very much. But uh, uh, all the people that work in so-called blue light services—that's people like firemen and, and ambulance service uh, and, and the police, and and uh, actually quite a few other organisations as, as well. Um, uh, they use dedicated networks to uh, to communicate, um, and traditionally that's been uh, voice services and push to talk. Um, you know, that's a typical police radio where you put push the button and, and talk to your colleagues. Um, but uh, that's an area that's really kind of going through modernisation, and uh, you understand that things like body cameras. Uh, a lot of what they do is coupled to. Um, handling emergency incidents and that type of thing. And what's very important there is to get, always have an up-to-date picture of what's going on. Um, so they want a very reliable uh, service and they want to be able to pass lots of information between lots of different people. Uh, and they also want it to work in difficult environments like burning buildings and uh, at the side of the road in a traffic accident and, and all those types of things. So it's a very interesting area. Lots going on in, in the industry. Um, there's a big network being built in the US, FirstNet, I heard recently that they've now got uh, tens of thousands of organizations uh, signed up to that. And uh, I think something like one and a half million people connected as part of their uh, uh, first net network. Mm-hmm. So you can see it's uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, and uh, this is, uh, we're gonna look in detail about uh, what's happening in Finland, which yeah. could be really interesting. Mm. And their route towards using 5G for this. So uh, also big news in Sweden. So we're going north here. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're stuck in Scandi- stuck in Scandinavia this week. I'm stuck sorry about the, the rest of the world, rest of the world, but Scandinavia this week is where it's at. It's hot. Yeah, it's hot. It's, it's hot. <laughs> or cold. Yeah. Um, so Spectrum auctions. 
Spectrum Auctions yeah. will come in Sweden. Uh, 10th of November, it's going to be the 3.5 and 2.3 giga, uh, gigahertz bands that's going to be auctioned off. And, and, uh, if, and of course, those are important because they're going to give us a, a lot more capacity to put into the 5G network. Yes, I think that's, uh, I mean, the, they've started a little bit now, but uh, it's very, very uh, small areas. And this will actually be the, the start of the rollout, I would say. Uh, and uh, if, if the rumors and, are and correct, uh, Telia did say that they would have networks up and running on the day that they get the spectrum. So, fingers Ooh. crossed. Mm? So, they're uh, definitely yeah. expecting to get some spectrum then. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps they are, yes. they are <laughs> that's that's their plan. <laughs> they're not going with that's spectrum. Their, well, that's their plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, we'll look forward to that. So, so the 10th of November then. Ignore anything else happening in the early part of November anywhere else in the world. It's not that important. Uh, <laughs> the 10th of November is, 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 when, it's, is when it's out. Uh, but while we're on uh, the area of, of uh, country politics. Also big news for Ericsson is that uh, Telia has chosen Ericsson to be the, the only supplier for the 5G networks. In Sweden and in Estonia, yeah. I think. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, sorry, uh, that's, that's, recently... yeah, that's important to add. So in Sweden and Estonia, yes. I know, I know that a uh, long time ago we did uh, we did trials in Estonia with 5G on a ferry. Do you remember that? Yes, that was the start of it all. Yeah, that was that yeah. was with Telia. So we, we yeah. have a long background with 5G with, with yeah. Telia. Um, and I think but, we talked uh, about this uh, little minibus as well uh, on Urgården in Stockholm in the last episode. Um, uh, we did. That was also, yeah, that was also with Telia. So, yeah. That's also with Telia. But uh, if we move over to Finland, where we're going to talk to the, the guys from Erelisverkot. Er Elisa also chose us recently, so that was, that was cool. Uh, Elisa is one of the uh, uh, one of the operators in Finland, uh, and it's actually the same operator that Erelisverkot are using for their access, for the access part of their, their operations. Um, so, yeah, lots of 5G happenings in, in the Scandics just at yeah. the moment. Uh, but we've got some other news to talk about. Yeah, but, but maybe should we just knows. quickly oh. mention first oh. the iPhone. That was a big thing happening. The iPhone well, that... being released. <laughs> Strangely uh, enough, that was the first thing I was going to ask you to talk okay. about. <laughs> Thank you. I thought you were going in, into the, <laughs> the deep technical things. Uh, no, no, no. iPhone, yeah. So what okay. do you think, Paul? iPhone 12, it's here. It's 5G. It's uh, I've never owned an iPhone, so I, I guess it's quite likely I won't be owning an iPhone. Uh, but I think that uh, the iPhone 12 or the the new 5G capable iPhone has been, you know, we've been waiting for it for a long time. And I think in certain markets, it's going to be very important in terms of the penetration of 5G. So markets like uh, Japan, for instance, where 5G's had a fairly slow take up, um, the market share for iPhones is very, very large. And, and obviously, the availability of a 5G iPhone is, is going to be significant in terms of uh, consumers wanting to move on to 5G. So from that point yeah. of view, I think it's really important. Um, I did hear, I've not seen it written anywhere, confirmed that the 5G they've announced will use millimeter wave, but only in the US, which seems slightly strange. Uh, but I think at the moment, most markets apart from the US are not using millimeter waves. So maybe when uh, when millimeter wave comes to markets, then uh, iPhones will 
uh, suitable iPhones will come on the market. That seems sensible to me, uh, but I'm not a product manager in Apple, so I don't know what the strategy is there. Yeah, I, I just um, read, though, that, but... that the, 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 the phone is sort of future proof, at least. They've tested that it works on all sorts of uh, bands, mm. band setups. So that's that's nice. That, as a as as a te technical person, that's one of the things I'm always really impressed with with phones, is the range of band support that you get from a phone. That this, this little thing in your pocket will work at any frequency from, you know, like six or a, a wide range of frequencies from like 600 megahertz all the way up to now, uh, 26 gigahertz, which is you know a thousand times the frequency range. Yeah, uh, you know, Paul, just a reflection on that. Uh, when we when we started this podcast. You know, I had no idea about the different spectrum bands. <laughs> I think I learned a lot over this uh, these uh, few years about high band, the mid band, the low band, and what kind of how they are used and what uh, yeah what functions they have. Uh, yeah. it's so it's like uh, it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, so we've achieved something over this time. Yes. <laughs> at least I, I, I get it. I learn stuff as well. That's the nice thing about having uh, guests on that know what they're talking about is that mm. uh, you get to listen and learn. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, but uh, as you rightly pointed out, there is some techie news, or there has been some techie news in in recent weeks uh, that's worth going over. And and in fact, there's been quite a lot of milestones. Uh, uh, in the press around what's happening in the development of 5G. Uh, if we go back to when 5G first came, you know, we had uh, what we call non-standalone 5G, which is working together with, so that's a 5G access network using a 4G core. And now we're moving over and seeing rollout of standalone 5G, so that's a five, true 5G core and a 5G, and a 5G network. Mm. Um, and you know, one of the things that you need when you want to, you know, when you want to build a high-capacity network, you need to use lots of spectrum. But what happens if your spectrum is split into into different chunks in different bands? Then you need to get those pieces to work together. So there's been a lot of activity around what we call carrier aggregation, which is where you take a carrier in one band and use it together with a carrier in another band to double the capacity, if you like, or add the capacity together. But there's lots of different flavors of that. So we've seen. Uh, we've seen carrier aggregation, uh, we, uh, an announcement, for instance, with with Optus using a Samsung handset, looking at non-standalone carrier aggregation. So that's uh, so that's a non-standalone network combining bands together. Uh, we've seen demonstrations of standalone carrier aggregation where we combine FTD and TDD variants together, uh, and we talked about those before. F FTD is a is a system which uses two different chunks of frequencies for upload data and download data. And TDD uses the same spectrum for upload and download, but it separates them in time. So it does some upload and then it does some download and then it does some upload and download. So those and those two different uh, systems work on different frequency bands. If you want to combine two bands together, uh, then uh, that, that use those two, then you need to kind of you need to juggle the bits to make sure that everything gets to the gets to where it's supposed to. And we've actually done trials with MediaTek on all the variations there. So I think that's FDD with FDD, TDD with TDD, and and mixed. And uh, we've also seen that using. A, uh, the, for the first time, doing data calls together with T-Mobile, combining their 600 megahertz network, which is a low frequency, so a very good coverage, together with two and a half gigahertz band, uh, using a commercial LG uh, LG phone on a standalone network. Still with me? Yeah, yeah. Is that uh, so? That's, 
so that's kind of where we're at um, yeah. on the carrier aggregation. The, the T-Mobile one, can I just very quickly ask? So is that, that, that was low band uh, and uh, did, you, did you say that the, it was uh, also with mid band together? Yeah, it's, it's two and a half gigahertz, so that's kind of mid band. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, if you remember, we talked before about spectrum sharing. That's, that's well, if, we've, uh, if we want to use a low band, to get coverage, but we're using it for 4G today and we don't want to stop using it for 4G because I've got lots of 4G subscribers. What am I going to do? Well, the simple answer is, well, let's just put 5G in there at the same time. So using the same band for two different for two different standards. Uh, and uh, that's not really something we've done in previous generations to any great extent. Um, but now we're seeing it, uh, you know, as very important technology for improving cov coverage for 5G networks. Uh, and uh, we sh we've been showing that for standalone using spectrum sharing uh, with uh, China Telecom, for instance. So that's uh, another cool milestone. Mm -hmm. And the last one I want to talk about, which is really, really interesting, and uh, this is uh, moving into the sphere of uh, fixed wireless access. Um, fixed wireless access is providing broadband services to homes and businesses, uh, and instead of putting in a fibre, then you, you give them a wireless connection. Uh, and you can do that on 4G, but, but the opportunity uh, for 5G is to do it for more homes with higher throughput. And uh, there with, the, with developing the technique using massive MIMO on uh, millimeter waves, so that's up in the 28 gigahertz bands or you know, up at really high frequencies. Um, then uh, together with US Cellular, we've shown that you can do that over hops of up to five kilometers and still get 100 megabit per second throughput, which compares to you know, only a few hundred meters um, when we first started doing these types of, of installations. And obviously, if you can do five kilometers, then you can reach a lot more properties than if you're stuck with a couple of hundred meters. Uh, so that's really interesting, um, particularly in terms of things, you know, the opportunities to do fixed wireless access in, uh, or shall I say, less dense uh, urban mm -hmm. areas or suburban areas. Oh, that's where, the, where you want it, right? It's uh, it's good when uh, you, when you it's too yeah. expensive to put down fiber. Yeah, I mean, basically, as, as you say, digging fiber, you know, there's, there's a cost to putting it in the ground, uh, which is a substantial part of the cost. So, you know, the further apart buildings are, the worse the business case is for putting in fiber. Um, and, uh, you know, when you look at rural communities, you know, the cost of uh, the cost of connecting out to individual homes gets starts to become prohibitive, which is one of the reasons why uh, you know, rural communities fall behind in terms of digital availability. So this is uh, really interesting development. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that how that goes going forwards. Yeah, a lot of uh, of uh, interesting uh, uh, information there, Paul. Uh, just one thing: this uh, when you talked about uh, the uh, combining the high band and and low band of T-Mobile, is that due to the merger with uh, with Sprint? Um, I don't actually know, but uh, it might be. Okay. Well, um, oh, it seems uh, seems um, like they they would have a need for it, or if they want to use all their spectrum asset, uh, assets. But right? but I think in, but I think in general most operators have spectrum in multiple all, bands, so, all over, yes. so it's relevant. Yeah, probably right. To, but uh, I do know that the combination of the combination of T-Mobile and Sprint gives them a very rich combination of spectrum bands all the way from yes. 600 megahertz, which is really quite low uh, uh, for this type of application, up to uh, the millimeter wave. So they they have a very 
a strong armory of things that they can deploy there. Mm, for sure. Good, good. Okay, uh, let's go over to talk to Rillisverkot about uh, 5G and public safety. Today we have uh, a guest from outside Ericsson and this is exciting. Uh, we have Antti Kaupinen, the head of department mobile technology development and strategy at Rillisverkot uh, with us from Finland. Hi Antti. Hi all, happy to Hi. be here and <laughs> well pronunciation on my name and the company name also. Thank you, thank you. I'm, uh, I've, I've had a special session with uh, a training with uh, my Finnish uh, colleague, actually, Rillis Varkot. Uh, yes, uh, so my first question to you, Antti, uh, what is Rillis Varkot? Well, Rillis Varkot is a 100% Finnish government-owned company. We have been existing about 20 years now. And we started off offering the current mobile public safety system, uh, Virve, which is based on, on Tetra technology. But we also have nowadays other services such as fixed lines. We are on the process of putting up a high security cloud service and so on. And there's around 400 people working at Erinsbergot, I think. Okay, and you talked about the Virve project there. Uh, can you describe what that was uh, to yeah. start with? Yeah, sure. Uh, Virve is the name of our uh, mobile public safety communication system. Um, it is based on Tetra technology, uh, which is a mobile technology uh, 20 years or so old, which people usually blue lights, but also, for example, electric companies used to communicate. Usually in a groups, it's push to talk. So one is talking and the others are listening. Yeah, that is uh, usually something that's uh, very important when it comes to this area, the push to talk where you can just hit a button. Is that normally on your mobile device that you hit a button and then you can talk straight to uh, or to, to your colleague uh, at the center or, or well, explain this. <laughs> yes, so <laughs> it is predefined group. So within that group, there might be some uh, operational centers, but mostly the other actors on the field. So they're predefined group. If they go to a situation, all relevant members are in the same talk group and they can push the button and talk, and while they are talking, the others can't intervene, so they can queue up and say what they want. It is very structured. It is something that has been talked to them uh, in, in, for example, Fire Rescue College. Yeah, and so it's sort of like a walkie-talkie, right? But nowadays it's called push-to-talk and it's on mobile devices instead. Can you can I say that? <laughs> it's not uh, a good explanation. Uh, I, I guess I, I, I'd say that the professional in this uh, field might be a bit offended comparing it to walkie-talkie, but the principle <laughs> is a bit similar, so I let it go this time. Hey, I grew up in the 80s, so <laughs> I'm old school. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, we had walkie-talkies then. Good to know. Uh, so this is this is for the entire uh, the the nation of Finland. Now now you are doing some big changes though, and you got some help from Ericsson in this Virve 2.0 project. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So what I described earlier could be considered as Virve 1.0. Zero, and now we are doing Vilva 2.0 projects. So the Ministry of Finance in Finland has uh, set us a goal that we have to migrate the users from the current Tetra-based system to a new broadband system by the end of 25. And there were all types of different groups, governmental groups uh, trying to decide how to achieve that. And it was decided that we will not get our own frequency uh, they uh, set the goal that we must be able to use QPP, so quality priority and preemption over commercial networks, and that we will host the most important parts of the core ourselves. So then we had the procurement process this year and last year, and Ericsson was the selected vendor for the core architecture. So. Basically, those services and users that are now in Birbe 1.0 using PTT and some other services are going to migrate to broadband service over commercial network. Yes, and there is where 5G comes in. Uh, but to take a step back, I guess, uh, perhaps we need to explain some things here. And this is why we have another person on this uh, podcast, we have Manuel Ruiz. Hi, Manuel. Hi, Janina. You, you've been on this podcast before, but then I think we talked about what do we call private networks. Now you have stepped into the role of head of mission critical networks here at Ericsson. What is this area, mission critical networks? Okay, yes, when, when we talk about mission critical networks, they are uh, networks for um, what we call mission critical sectors. That means networks for public safety, including fire and rescue, uh, police, ambulance, and so on. Networks also for uh, defense and peacekeeping, for utilities and for rail. And what is the characteristics of these networks? Is that even in the worst conditions, they need to keep working, right? Even in the worst conditions, the ambulance, they need to have their networks, they need to have their communications. So then when we talk about mission critical, then it's our networks that they are essential. And uh, of course, the uh, the networks that we, prov uh, we provide to the to the operators, they, they have uh, strong characteristics, but these uh, customers, these sectors, they require even more than what we provide to the operators. And we used to talk mainly about three areas high availability, more than the existing operators, high reliability and high security. If I can add to that, uh, in Finland, I often hear also the term time critical used with mission critical. So the information might be really, really important to the end users, but all of that information doesn't have to be deliver, delivered immediately. But when you are in a operational scenario, in a fire, in a police situation, it's really important that there are no delays. Their life may be depending on it. Absolutely. Okay. And I think this is an important point, right? In many of those networks, I would say all of those networks, life depend on it, right? So that's why we, yeah. we are going to the stretching the technology to the most to be able to provide exactly what Antti was mentioning. 
Yeah, this is uh, not an area to take lightly. It's not like uh, you can have a network uh, fail. <laughs> that is not an option in this area. Uh, so I guess it's a, a little bit um, different that you in uh, in this Virve uh, 2.0, you don't have a private network that you are using a commercial network. Uh, what are the aspects there that you can see uh, has, has, uh, what's the pros and cons of that? Perhaps we can start off with, uh, with Antti who sees it from the, from the user side or customer side. Mm? Well, I, I would say, of course, <clears throat> financing is one quite clear issue. It's really, really expensive to build a nationwide network, at least in a country like Finland, where uh, in the north of Finland, we have Tetra service in areas where we have two people living per square kilometer. So population density is really low. Uh, then another is capacity issue. When we are using commercial operator, we can get all of their capacity if that is in the agreement and if we need it. So there's much more capacity in, in our use than would probably be in a, in a private network. Ah, so for a private network, you sort of have the, the, the coverage uh, that you can, you can control that these uh, areas, that all areas of Finland have uh, the coverage, but instead you sort of have the, uh, a low level of, of coverage everywhere, uh, while now you can use other types of features in area where you have a bigger capacity. Yes, but uh, it has to be mentioned that our tetra coverage is around uh, 97% at the moment. Mm. It's really good considering mm. that it's not really a good business case, if I may say so. And the operator that we have selected to be our partner in the radio access, uh, ELISA, they have to build some coverage to reach the gap between their current existing service and our Tetra service. So yeah. it has to be hardened so, in terms of coverage and, but also in terms of power resilience, for example, because for example, winter storms are really difficult for radio networks in Finland. The, the trees are falling on the electric lines that lead up to the base stations, and we have big problems in those cases. Ah, oh, yes. But so, so that means in, in principle, the, the, the people that live two people per square kilometer in Finland, uh, they'll actually get a better mobile service because you're in, you're investing with Elisa in building out the coverage of Elisa's network. Yes, and of course, other, other operators can then rent the new sites, but if they will, it remains to be seen, but at least Elisa customers uh, are getting much wider service area. Mm. But 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 that also has that has interesting spin-offs because once you get geographical coverage, then things like forestry companies can start to use uh, connected machines and that type of thing out in out in the middle of nowhere because you have coverage that maybe wouldn't have been there if it was just providing a, a consumer service. I agree, and it's really interesting in terms of five G and automation, for example, that the coverage mm. is there. The the possibilities for purely uh, commercial uses are, are also really interesting. Mm. 
Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things with 5G is you build an infrastructure and then you can reuse it in, in different applications for different segments. Uh, and obviously this is one of those applications which has high coverage demands. So it's uh, you could see in some ways that it's it will be one of those that drives uh, coverage, uh, uh, geographical coverage, not just population coverage. Yeah, cool. and also what what Anthony mentioned is it's quite interesting, right? Uh, we see different different models in the world, right? There are uh, some countries that they decide to to build a complete network, but here in the case of, of Finland, is less leveraging existing infrastructure, existing radio from one of the operators, less be dedicated core, and then less enhance the coverage, the resilience, and so on. And we see mainly these two models all around the world. And, uh, uh, I think very interesting uh, speed that this is getting in the world right now and the interest from, from different countries, what is happening in Finland, right? Wow, cool. So from your side, uh, Manuel, uh, the same question as I uh, put to Andy, what do you see as the, the, the negative and positive impacts that uh, using commercial network, using cellular in this way has? Okay, if... Uh, Thinking about the, the use of 3GPP technologies, right? Uh, we think that we are in a very interesting moment for the for the telecommunication industry, also for the mission critical. For for the first time, uh, mission critical, public safety, uh, peacekeeping, defense, and so on, they are exploring, should be 4G, 5G, 6G, the technology for the following 15, uh, 20 years, right? The public safety, clearly, it's in that direction, but then it's creating... Uh, quite a strong uh, advantages since at the end, the level of investments we're making in 3GPP cannot be much. It's, uh, we're basing standards, it's an oper- uh, we're talking about open architectures and so on. So that at the end we see uh, quite a strong benefit in this partnership with Mission Critical. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, and so hopefully this is also benefiting, I mean, all companies. Uh, but how, how will this uh, be set up in the networks? Uh, so is this a? It's still a, a, some a, a pri or is it is it a, a network slice that this is going to be on uh, in Eliza's network or how is this uh, going to work? Can you explain a little bit more? If this was for me, I can answer briefly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically, we, at least we are not talking about slice. I consider slicing to be more of 5G related, uh, although it can can be done in 4G. But basically what we have bought from uh, Ericsson, which is, as we speak, being set up in few places in Finland, is uh, the core, we call it, Emotion multi-operator core network. So basically we have everything but the radio access. So we don't have the antennas, we don't have the frequencies and the other elements that are, are on the base station sites. But everything else, we have our own. So we are being as much as an operator as we can without having a frequency, having a base station. Uh-huh. So, so basically all of the traffic, that's, all of your traffic on the, on the uh, ELISA network is, is routed through to your core network and, the, and, and, all, and all of the traffic handling is done in, in your core. Yes, basically you could uh, compare it to a scenario where uh, two operators are sharing their radio access network resources. Mm. So building mm. a, a common run. We, we are in that scenario, but we are not building 
uh, or we are not bringing any any radio access network resources to the table. Instead, we are buying those resources from Elisa. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, should we perhaps move over then to how this network will be used? Like. When you, if you have uh, newer technology, more bandwidth, uh, more capacity, how will this network be used? You see, in in the future, I mean, after twenty twenty five when it's launched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we will probably actually get our first users to use the. Uh, new service next year, but then it will just be the prioritized SIM card and we will offer the services on top of that from beginning of 2023. So those what do you mean be, with prioritized SIM card? They can take our SIM card and put it in a mobile router that they already have, for example, in a police car, and they get priority uh, in the radio access network. Okay. And then on top of that, we built the services. And the first services will be the 3GPP defined mission critical services, which will then replace the current Tetra. So in the first phase, they will just get a SIM card and in the second phase, they will get the application on their smartphone mm -hmm. that can do the group communications, PTT. So uh, exchanging the current uh, service that you have. Yes. That's the first step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And but then we will build on top of that, but that is the goal of the Virve 2.0 project is to be able to migrate the users from the old to the new. Mm. And that means that our first use cases aren't really as uh, 5G as they could be, <laughs> because our focus really has to be in, in replacing the current system. It's not really a effective use of broadband service doing PTT mm. and some mission critical data. They don't consume much capacity. But that has to be the first step. Yeah. We have first have to reach the trust of our end users, and that is the base on top of which we can build new services. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and and to be clear, the first step is is being rolled out on the 4G network, is that correct? Yes, we have yeah. 4G and 5G in both core and the run agreements. So we will yep. go to 5G in the same pace that Elisa is going to 5G and our core mm. will support that. We don't mm. do 3G because by the end of 2023, there shouldn't be much 3G. So we are not doing legacy integrations, if you will. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that, I can see that makes life that makes life easier. <laughs> yeah. uh, the I mean, Eliza was one of uh, the first uh, operators, sort of, in the in Europe at least, to to launch five uh, G. So they are on track <laughs> towards uh, having the bigger capacity and and uh, what what five G brings. So perhaps we should uh, turn instead to Manuel. Uh, what kind of of use cases or uses or applications? Sorry, Paul. Uh, of uh, uh, could could Anti look forward to and, and the Lysa project? What do you see uh, in the future for this area? Well, yeah, I can say a few words. Of course, we have been scoping the future also. So what comes 
after 4G, situational awareness is by far the most common things that people are looking for. That would mean that through 5G, massive connectivity and so on, we, are, we will be able to absorb much more data from the field. And also with broadband connectivity to the end users, we can also push much more situational awareness information. That said, we probably need some sort of artificial intelligence between because with broadband, we can push much more information that a human can absorb, even if they were not in operational scenario. So we have to be able to filter it out, try to find out with artificial intelligence or machine learning what is important to the individual in any given scenario. Mm. Mm. So, so does that mean that you'll be you'll be looking to things like uh, augmented reality to be able to to display pertinent information on on the on the screen or on a visor or something? Yes, that's uh, one of the most common ways that people have thought that they would like to absorb the information. So, if mm. I ask what is the biggest hits in five G for public safety, many will answer augmented reality. Mm. So, so, and that is precisely to get better situational awareness without having to look a screen and, and paying too much attention to that. But mm. that also means that it means a lot of performance from the RAN, a lot of performance from the core. It probably means architectural changes in our side. Uh, we will have to do just to reach the uh, delay requirements. We have to do edge computing. So we have to do distributed architecture to be able mm. to offer, offer the services that our end users need. And I see this happening somewhere after 2025, once we have migrated all the end users to the new service. And also in that time scale, we might be getting enough 5G nationwide that it's worthwhile. Yeah, and and just to, to comment on the latency, thanks. But that's but with the augmented reality, that's like when when you turn your head, then the augmented reality information needs to needs to flow with what you see. Otherwise, otherwise, uh, <laughs> otherwise, it's very weird for the user. Yes, and also what what we uh, what we think is that five G at the end is an uh, is a platform for innovation, right? As Andy was mentioning, there are use cases that that they have today, their use cases that they expect to apply, but uh, with the capabilities we're providing, with the good communication, this partnership with uh, with the public safety community, uh, with our customers, there will be new use cases, new, new applications. We can think, for example, about robots going into a fire that they can be controlled from the outside without exposing uh, the, the fireman. So then at the end, there will be applications that we cannot see today and that that technology will open these new use cases. Mm. I agree. Robots are really interesting. I think one of the best uses, use cases that I've heard so far is protecting the borders of the nation with, for example, uh, robotic drones, the drones that fly themselves via set route. But uh, that also means that they generate a lot of data, a lot of video. So then again, we need some sort of intelligence to show through that video feed and what is significant and what is not. So I think through technological evolution, we will first get rid of the guy who is uh, flying the drone. He can do something uh, more important. And then we will get rid of the guy watching the video. 
and he can mm. do something more important. So it's making the end user organizations uh, operations more efficient. When it comes to starting to talk about uh, like drones and and uh, robots in this area, it sort of becomes a little bit futuristic. Are there anything closer to home that you can see as first steps when it comes to utilizing uh, faster communication and 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 uh, and a more reliable reliable uh, connection to to the network? I'm thinking more like perhaps uh, body cameras or something like that. Is that something you're working on? Yeah, uh, the end user organizations are working on that, and of course, we have to pay attention to the connectivity that they have but that's really interesting question because on the other hand the service is already there you can go and buy 5g connection 4g connection and use it to whatever you please but it's not on a mission critical level at this point so all it's almost like the first innovations are uh, already there but with virva 2.0 prioritize SIM card or the access that it offers. You can reach uh, the level of availability that the end user needs. They can take it into more operational use when they can trust that it actually works whenever they need it to work. Yeah. Uh, Manuel, uh, now that we've been talking to, to Andy here for a while, we can see what's happening in Finland and what steps they are taking. Uh, in this area. What's happening in the rest of the world? Do you see that this is a hot area uh, for for better connectivity? Uh, yes, yeah? uh, no, absolutely. We, we see a uh, we see a strong interest in the moving to 3GPP technologies. As I said, uh, it's not just about 4G or 5G. It's, it's a journey, right? It's about 4G, 5G, 6G and so on. And we see especially in public safety, we see clearly early adopters in the, now we are talking about Finland. In the US, there is the, the first net network uh, deployed in the UK with the UK Home Office. So that they are um, some of the most relevant countries in public safety around the world. They are either deploying or thinking on this. Then uh, when we think about other verticals, for example, defense peacekeeping, uh, with the United Nations, we're working as well for the, the for the blue cast, for the peacekeeping uh, operations that they are running, and they are using as well uh, 4G technology, 3GPP technologies. Some critical industries like rail, utilities, we see also interesting movements, I would say, mainly in the uh, North America, I would say utilities and Europe, and rail, we see a big traction in, in Asia as well. So yes, absolutely yes, uh, the, the opportunity uh, for both the, uh, the users, the telco operators, and for the a technology provider is there. Hmm. Uh, question, and I'm not sure who's, who it's a question for really, but uh, well, you know, we talk about the network and the system and we talk about applications like uh, you know, using technology like AR, but, but how do you see the, you know, who is going to create those applications? What's the, what's the ecosystem like? Because if, you know, for every new use case, you need to create software and an application that's going to make it happen and it's not necessarily the case that someone like uh, or, or Ericsson is is going to have the resources and the scope to do all of those applications so you know is there a ecosystem on board to actually take this forward well that's a good question and this is something that we are uh, thinking frequently 
so basically the first services, the MC services that are to uh, replace the current Tetra, we will buy them. We are not in any case uh, writing any code on them. Mm. But of course, our goal is to come up with an ecosystem that is attractive to software companies, for example, mm. and then offer offer to house the services so that they can be on a mission critical level so that they are within our technological ecosystem so that they can reach the level of availability and security that the end users want mm. but that to reach that i think we need uh, much more countries on board so that we can form a big enough ecosystem because it's not just something that we can resolve here in finland or in any other countries. We mm. need the global ecosystem to get the best possible services yep. to our users. Yeah, I fully agree with Antti. I think that, uh, Sally, what he said, it's about having a critical mass, right? So then I think it's extremely important all the uh, communications, discussions that different governments they are having uh, to be able to have that critical mass that will uh, will uh, create the interest of the uh, of different companies to create this ecosystem not in the network that is something that we do but in the applications that they will run on top mm. i mean one of the things we 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 get in our mailbox or sometimes it's like oh this 5g is really interesting how can i get involved and and obviously you know this that within public safety within mission critical but even in other areas of 5g it's the the apps that you'll put on top of the the infrastructure which will which will turn it in uh, from being just connectivity into something that's useful for for people for businesses for you know for users in things like public safety so mm -hmm. i think there's a the, there is a lot of opportunity out there for different businesses to get involved um and uh you know look at what can you do with this uh, uh universal connectivity mm. so perhaps uh, that's a good call to action uh, then uh, as the finish um for, for this podcast <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> sorry paul was, i know was, what you're was that thinking a pun, <laughs> it was un completely un unintentional uh so uh First of all, we can ask, is there anything else you want us to talk about? Perhaps uh, from my side, I will say, uh, I would like to emphasize, this is not just an acquisition. Uh, this is a journey. And, and uh, this is a journey, this is a partnership in the case of Finland and uh, partner with Elizabeth Bercott, uh, partner with Elisa, partner with Ericsson. But uh, this is a journey for, for several years. And then the communication between uh, the, uh, the end users the the government uh, service provider uh, the technology provider uh, the operator are absolutely critical for the success mm. of this journey yeah uh, so a call out to to also to uh, other uh, countries <laughs> perhaps like you like you said Antti, that uh, this needs a it needs a bigger network and needs more collaboration in some areas as well yes and i might add uh, what Manuel said that uh, this is a journey in a way that we are the world that we come from the tetra environment it was quite fixed for 20 years or so it didn't evolve much it evolved some but not much so now we are moving forward that that is constantly changing so we have to change the entire way that we work 
with our end users and with our services mm. and cores and runs. So we are not just trying to build an end-to-end 5G public safety communications ecosystem. We are trying to build an ecosystem that is flexible enough to embrace whatever comes with 5G, all the new technologies and services for our end users. Yeah, a uh, good end point. And we can say also that uh, there is uh, an event coming up uh, very shortly, Critical Communication Week uh, in the in beginning of November. Uh, Manuel, you will be there uh, talking online, <laughs> not in person, uh, right? <laughs> absolutely. No, we, we'll be uh, close to 10 people from our company who are going to give different different speech. I'm going to talk about the journey for uh, 5G and 5G, but this is exactly the kind of, of forums that are very interesting for the for the whole industry, right? Where we have the mm. users, where we have the technology providers, where we have the operators, and we are discussing about how we can uh, work together uh, for providing these technologies to mission critical. So then I really recommend to, to participate, by the way, it's a, it's a free online event. So uh, we can uh, place the link to the event in the show notes if everyone wants, if someone here wants to listen more about this area. It's a fascinating area with uh, uh, where where we can where we can uh, contribute with a good connectivity such as 5G uh, from Ericsson's side, and it's up to the rest of the world to see how we can use it or how they can use it. Thank you, Manuel Ries and uh, Antti Kaupinen from Rillisverkot for coming here to this podcast and talking about uh, mission critical networks uh, and what it is, what's happening in Finland with the Virve 2.0 project. Uh, thanks everyone for listening out there and bye. Bye bye. 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 bye thank you.